Hey everyone, this is Push to Prod and it's Dan here. Before we get into the show today, I thought I'd start with a brief intro for you. Colin is currently away traveling. He's having a good old time with his family in the UK. And since we can't catch up live together and share our usual summary of what we've been up to, we instead decided to produce an episode that is a little more evergreen. The topic we've chosen to get into is SaaS hosting, since it's something we all have to consider at some point if we're building and running a SaaS. You'll notice in the recording that we also have a bit of fun experimenting with the format. The first part of the show has a bit more of a storytelling feel to it, just to set the scene. Later in the show, we get into a more back and forth casual style. Like I said, we're simply experimenting here with a few options since we're a young new podcast. On that, um, given we're still new, could you do us a favor? If you like this show today, do you reckon you'd be able to drop us a line really quickly and just let us know what you think? Equally, if you dislike this format, let us know as well. We're definitely open to feedback here. You can reach us uh, on Twitter at pushtoprodpod or send an email to pushtoprodpod at gmail.com. Okay, that's it for the pre-show intro. Let's get into the actual show, shall we? I hope you enjoy it. Hey everyone, this is a Push to Prod SaaS Builder Session, your guide to understanding options for building, running and growing your software as a service. I'm Dan Miller. And I'm Colin Gowdy and this is Season 1 of Push to Prod SaaS Builder Sessions. This season we're opening up the data centre and looking at all those infrastructure pieces that make production possible, aka hosting. So over the coming weeks, we'll call class into session and bring you one big idea per episode, like what serverless functions are or... When would you level up to private cloud? Now, we do realize that learning about hosting and infrastructure might seem like a questionable activity of someone who's trying to build a SaaS. Shouldn't you be building new features or running a new marketing experiment or something? True, Cole, but that's the beauty of push to prod SaaS builder sessions. You can do both. SaaS builder sessions are developer experience enhancing and feature-friendly guaranteed. No trolling through tabs, no dealing with brochureware, just fundamental SaaS principles in a simple, consumable format delivered right to your earbuds wherever you are. So the thing that I love about various SaaS hosting options available nowadays is that they make it so much easier to turn your SaaS dreams into reality. You know, they help you take the amazing code that you've built on your local dev machine and put it into production for others to use anywhere in the world. Yes, gone are the days of building a machine yourself that sits under a desk in your office or configuring some operating system connected to the internet, keeping everything patched, dealing with a barrage of constant cyber intrusion attempts or possibilities. Today, you can have a virtual team of professionals that specialise all, on all this just for you. And in this season one episode of Push to Pride SaaS Builder Sessions, we're getting started by exploring the world of platform as a service. So we may as well start with a backstory. We start by going back in time to the olden days before SaaS existed. Back in the 70s, 80s and 90s, most big software systems for businesses ran on-premise and were built by several teams of people that each played their part. One of those teams were the infrastructure crew and they knew all about building and running the hardware that these business software systems ran on. Think mainframes, you know, server farms, things like that. If you were the software team building the code, whenever you needed machines to run your software on, you would speak to the infrastructure team and they would help you set things up. They would also take care of running all the machines in the back rooms and the basements. This harmonious world of on-premise systems development cruised along nicely for years. The software teams did their thing, 
the infrastructure teams did theirs. In parallel to that, you also had software developers building and selling shrink wrap software that could be installed via floppy disks or CD-ROMs on individual personal computers. Again, those personal computers, they were, they were managed by infrastructure teams in the business or the owners themselves in the case of privately owned machines, right? And then along came the internet. For the first decade or so in its infancy, but after a while, people began to realise that you could provide a service where you built and ran software systems for other people. In this new world, users could log in not by connecting their desktop computer via the local network to the on-premise mainframe or server, but via their browser over the internet. The beginnings of a software as a service industry was born. Businesses and end users loved this since it meant they no longer had to run their own computing infrastructure on-premise. They could just pay someone else to do it, i.e. the SaaS provider. Still in those early days, if you were that SaaS provider, you still needed to take care of all the infrastructure yourself. Now, one important point to remember is that developing business software and managing computer infrastructure are two very different skills, and it took a lot of time and effort for SaaS teams to do both, and it's not easy. So, as is the case, whenever there is a challenging problem, savvy entrepreneurs see a solution. And sure enough, over the years since SaaS began, we've seen several businesses spring up whose main offering is building, configuring, and running the infrastructure that SaaS software developers can simply pay to use. Cloud hosting was born. Cloud computing or slash hosting in general is a fancy way of saying other people run IT infrastructure for you on their own machines in a separate location and you connect to and use via the internet. There are several different flavors of hosting available and one of the current offerings that makes life easy for SaaS developers is platform as a service. The core concepts of PaaS are this. Third-party providers deliver many of the behind-the-scenes components then to run a SaaS, like the hardware infrastructure, the back-end server software. These components are provided out of the box. They're managed in some shape or form by the PaaS provider, including many of the components that SaaS require on top of infrastructure, like you know, easy deployment for, um, or database upgrading systems or framework-specific features. For example, you know, there's server, compute, storage, load balancing, network configuration, firewall, all of this. All of this is the responsibility of the PaaS provider. And the SaaS team can simply pay the service fee and utilise all that out of the box to host their app and its data. So, Cole, I figured at this point, I probably would love to talk a little bit about some of the pros. Um, as someone who is starting up a SaaS myself, um, this is very, in, very interesting to me. So, from a point of view of you know, why it's attractive. Paz to me, it, it makes me think that I only need to focus on building and operating the app and its data. I don't need to worry about all the other stuff. So like we said earlier, knowing the ins and outs of hosting infrastructure, configuration options, monitoring, scaling, you know, that's a specialized profession in itself, right? I, I remember you used to do that sort of stuff. You, you have actually quite a bit of skill in that space, but it can take years to know what's required to successfully run SaaS infrastructure and production. I I don't have it. <laughs> so time spent on hosting is time that you don't have to further develop SaaS or to get out there and focus on marketing and sales. Therefore, you know, if someone's willing to do this work for us and all you need to do is input your credit card, it's a no-brainer. So I reckon some of the pros of using a PaaS include time savings, reduced infrastructure management, and automating or eliminating some of those maintenance, maintenance tasks. Have you got any thoughts about what you might think are some of the pros as well? Yeah, look, I mean, obviously it reduces the the complexity of what you sort of alluded to at the top of actually setting this up yourself. Um, some of that complexity is 
you don't need to have these skills in house. <laughs> you can actually, you know, you don't have to hire. Suddenly your HR becomes a lot simpler. Um, staying up to date with, you know, the software and some of the new technologies or even versioning of certain things, that's all taken care of. Um, mm. And not only running, but scaling. So sometimes running infrastructure is one thing, scaling it is another option. So some of these past ones make it so easy. That's that's the bit that scares me actually. And I love the idea about a PaaS provider coming in and being able to scale that for you. You know, it's it's the, I don't know if people remember, but there used to be this really cool original website where everyone would go and talk about, you know, tech stuff. And it was called Slashdot. Uh, its website is slashdot.org. And there used to be this thing called the slash dot effect. Whenever time, whenever an article turned up on slash dot, um, and or everyone saw it, if it was about a specific company or a specific business or a specific website, every single user of slash dot would just dump in and, and go to that website straight away. And before you know it, it'd be super busy and it'd just crash. <laughs> That's the slash dot effect. And it became a verb, wasn't it? You got slash dotted. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so scaling scares the hell out of me. And I love the um, idea of a PaaS provider just taking care of that for me yeah for sure yeah um i reckon some of the other benefits you'd have with it would be the fact that you don't actually have to physically have these things on premise anymore um you can actually because they're provided by a PaaS provider you could be anywhere in the world and be able to deal with some of your back-end stuff you could just log in right yeah yep and then obviously that that speed to market now because you're not having to do a lot of that thing you're building your SaaS, especially some of the frameworks that are out there now they come with almost the, a one-line script to be able to like take what you've just written, push it into one of those PaaS providers and you're up and running. So that speed to market, that ability at an early stage to get it into production, um, it's, it's just mind-blowing compared to where we were five or ten years ago. It is pretty good actually. It's cost-effective as well. Like, like, you know, the fact that I can go and just punch in, I don't know, some of those start at, there's a few free plans, but there's some of them start at like seven, ten, fifteen dollars a month and you can have your own little server infrastructure doing what you need to do. That's super cost effective. I don't need to spend thousands of dollars on a server anymore. I don't need to spend thousands of dollars in time um, taking care of all that. So yeah, I, I really love that. And one of the aspects, which is a definitely a pro, but it could also be a con, is the security side of it. You know, again, not knowing what buttons to press, what configurations to switch on, which things to switch off. You know, that could be a bit of an issue. So having a PaaS provider deal with that for you is possibly a good thing. That's right. So I mean, many of these pros probably have their, you know, their associated con as well. And obviously, we're, you know, I was thinking going through some of them and like the security element, like you're saying, like I think out of the box when you think about using a PaaS provider, it is obviously one of the things you get and you think about uh, you go, yep, they're going to fix it. You know, I won't have these random ports open anymore and things like that. But then there is other security things that come along with it because if you're not thinking about it you can still have holes especially like some of these vendors you know you might be deploying um, containers to their system so now you've got to still think about um, what vulnerabilities are in my frame like inside my container that I'm using some of the you know you're still building up an effectively an operating system inside a container or your code you you know who yep. writes everything anymore you de definitely are using open source frameworks in your actual code that's still got that vulnerability. So it's you're not just because you're using someone else's infrastructure and their platform services doesn't totally mean you can forget about it. So I think a lot of those pros have these associated cons. But the good thing is when you're really little, yeah, you don't true. have to 
you know, it, you can sleep easier at night. I guess you don't have to worry about all the time. That is true. I guess if they um, if they get it wrong though, they get it really wrong. So if if your PaaS provider doesn't do the right thing from a security point of view, and and like you said, Cole, if you're not thinking about that, it can be probably pretty disastrous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so like some of the other cons. I mean, look. Reduce flexibility of control, I guess, in the sense that most of these, because they're like configuration, like convention over configuration, all that, they're like saying, look, if you do it this way, there's less for you to do. But as a result, you've got to do what they want to do. And most of the time that's fine. But uh-huh. if you're coming from, yeah. you know, the history of building everything yourself or you used to do it a certain way, or particularly in my case, sometimes I'm used to deploying to these cloud platforms a certain way. So for me to then choose a different PaaS provider or or vendor, it's suddenly I'm like, I'm trying in my head, I'm trying to go, okay, but can I do this on it? Can I do that? Like, how does that work? And so they're, they're things you got to think about um, in terms of, yeah, like, is this a negative for me or what, what do I, what, what can I forget about now? It's not so much a negative, but it's like, what assumptions yeah. can I ignore now? Because I don't have to worry about it. I guess they probably lock you in a bit as well, wouldn't they? Like if I'm loving the fact that I just need to give them my credit card and I start building my app around their infrastructure, I could actually inadvertently find putting, I'm putting myself into a bit of a cul-de-sac here, painting myself into a corner by locking myself into their way of doing things and their infrastructure. Therefore it could be a bit tricky to get out of later on down the line. Yeah. Yeah, And you go, that's the thing. And you're always going to have some element of that, aren't you? Like if you're, if you're thinking about um, choosing, for example, AWS or Azure as like a cloud provider, you could think, okay, well, if I go AWS and I go real native AWS, I'm going to get locked in pretty quick. And then that same thing happens if you step up to the past environment where if I'm in a Heroku, how easy is it to jump onto another one, you know? Um, and mm, that's mm. fine. And what you do find, I think, but look, this is what we're do- using these platforms for too, huh? is not is it to validate our idea? And we don't care about that. But once we scale up a bit, you just have to be very conscious that if it requires you to, you know, eventually, I don't know, go back to say, native cloud like to aws what am i what else do i need to build now because i don't have some of these platform um, features that are there i guess some um, some of the other cons you want to be thinking about as well is you know availability if if the vendor has an outage themselves like the PaaS provider has an outage then your service your software as a service is going to have that outage too so you want to make sure they've got some high nines in their uptime and their availability and that probably goes with performance issues as well if you're, um, you know, you're, you're purchasing one of the lower tier value um, services that they offer on their PaaS, you're probably going to be lumped in on a shared machine of some sort behind the scenes. And therefore, you know, you're probably at the whim of whatever else is going on on those machines. So you could experience some performance issues and some of them actually might, they deliberately do that just to make sure that they, they, they reduce the amount of performance you get so that you will push yourself up into the higher ranges as well yeah yeah and you'll definitely see that like especially i mean i haven't used heroku and things for a while but um if your app is one that is not used a lot and it's like say it's a business app used during the day you'll probably find in the morning it's totally off like it, it it's it's available but not available yeah, it's asleep yeah, and it's it goes to come sleep up so and if your api is like that you just gotta know yeah. that my initial requests are gonna take a bit longer then they're gonna come up but again they're cons but they're also you know, you, you know why you're doing no it. Yeah. I, I, uh, I experienced that myself, Cole. I, uh, the very first time I started using one of these PaaS providers, I was freaking out because I was going, what, what's going on? On my dev machine, I'm, I'm running my site and it's pretty much instantaneous. Sure. 
why is it taking me 35 seconds for, for my site to load on this page provider? And I was going, ah, oh, right, I figured it out because yeah. it goes <laughs> to sleep in the background. It's the database is going to sleep, the server it's running on is going to sleep, you know, the, the container that it's, it's on. Yeah, that's explain it. So once you know how it works, you know how to deal with it. Yeah, and obviously, you know, like you said, they want you to pay a bit more to, you know, to keep it awake or maybe the speed mm. to come up is quicker. And that's where you get into the other con, which um, – <laughs> These can be quite expensive as you grow. And like personally, I've got a little bit of that in the sense that I'm quite comfortable with Amazon ECS, which is not really a full, it's a pass in a way, you know, it's a containerized, you know, framework. Um, but I was talking to a guy mm. at MicroConf last week and he was like, he's, he's a Rails app. I think he's Rails app, but his, his bill is like $60 a month. Mine's like, even at my scaled down ECS usage is I don't know, $250 a month. It's just because I've got all these things hanging off it. Um, and it just yeah. shows you that depending on the things you choose to use, they can get quite pricey and that's still cheap. Like let's be admit 250 yeah, is cheap. They can. But then you get the other end, you know, like the DHH yep. of the world with Basecamp where they're bringing everything off the cloud back to behind the firewall because the amount mm. they're spending is just ludicrous. And it's actually, well, at least they're doing the maths yep. where it's cheaper ironically, to go back and run everything themselves, which is kind of, you know, a full circle. Okay. But again, that's, that's a con in a way, but it's a con that you just have to be conscious of. I think if you're at that point where it is, if, if cloud is more expensive for you, then you're in, probably in a pretty good place. Yeah, I'd say so as well. I was actually going to consider that as one of the things we talk about is when would you start getting into PaaS and moving to other spaces. But I'll get to that in a minute. So people are probably thinking listening to this now, who are some of these PaaS providers? Give us some names. We've mentioned one or two so that can become real in their heads. So some of the lists that I've found, I actually put the call out on Twitter the other day and I said, I've made a list. What do you think? And most people um, got back to me and said, yeah, that's pretty close to covering it. Some of the ones we've got there are Heroku. You've got Render. Uh, there's Fly.io and Railway. And another one that I just heard of for the first time was Porter. Um have you got any others on your list, Cole? Uh, there's the whole DigitalOcean app platform, um, Google App Engine. Um, if you're in the Microsoft world, you know, I'd argue that, yeah, Microsoft Azure App Services is a pass provider. Um, and then, mm. yeah, some of the other guys was mentioning platform.sh. I haven't, I haven't actually used that one. Oh, um, yeah. And Engine Yard. No, that's, same. if I'm right, Engine Yard is Rails, isn't it? I guess that's the only other thing I probably should have written down what so. each of these platforms are. Because I guess one of the things with these systems yeah. are they're only going to be applicable to certain frameworks or languages. And I think the, the main thing that they sell themselves with is, and this is the takeaway from, from, from the episode here today, is that basically you, they take care of everything for you, but you come along, you've got to provide your app. And you've also got to deal with your data. So you've probably got to look after your database. Even though some of them do provide the database, you're the one who's sort of in control of that. So, um, yeah, that's the main push there. So that's the that's the list of PaaS providers. So that brings us to the next question, which is when would you use them? What, why would you use a PaaS? Yeah, so look, and we've obviously alluded to it a little bit in our discussions at, at the top, but... Um, you know, they're going to suit people or organizations or startups. Like obviously, they have fewer resources to develop and manage applications. Um, That's me. Yeah. <laughs> Therefore, you benefit from like this out-of-the-box, ready-to-use, all-in-one offering, you know, for your software, delivery, hosting, stuff like that. So like we just mentioned, if you're starting out like you are and you're building a new SaaS, um, someone like me who's, I guess, not so much starting out, but, you know, we're small um, we, we need to know that, you know, we're not going to obviously deploy all this ourselves. Um or 
you might still be new or whatever, but you know that you're not going to have the, the sort of the scaling up requirements. So you just, you know, you want to run it cheaper. You don't have many users yet. You're trying to validate an idea. That's when a mm. pass provider is obviously definitely um, worth considering. Yeah. I like that one as well. If you're if you're pivoting around and you're playing around with new ideas, you know, you're just saying, I'm going to try this, you know, SaaS idea for the next few months or I'm going to try that one. In a, maybe maybe do a few of them in parallel. Having a PaaS is actually quite uh, an interesting idea there because you can move super fast. You don't have to think about anything. You don't have to muck around with um, infrastructure. You just punch in the credit card, buy the service, connect your app up to it um, and start deploying there. You're there, you're ready to go. So I like that idea for sure you'd probably want to think about it as well if you've got relatively less experience or skills building and operating application infrastructure then PaaS is probably something that you want to think about do you think someone just a question on that no this is a hard one for me to answer because i just don't have this but if you are pretty much a non-technical person or a no code type developer is this still something applicable or is it still needing that you know do you think that someone who's choosing and deploying on a pass provider, it would probably still be technical in the sense that they've built the app. Yeah, you'd probably want to have a decent comprehension of, um, you know, it's the stack that your system is going to run on and you make a conscious decision to not do parts of it yourself. Whereas someone who's like super um, in the brand new technology space and I don't really understand what I'm dealing with, I'm, I'm here, I'm just doing no code and I'm just running it. I've probably suggest maybe it's not the right choice for them because you've got to you've actually got to comprehend what it is you're buying and and um you know what aspects you'll want to purchase from the PaaS provider yeah yeah that's what i would have thought but it'd be interesting if other people uh if there's other people out there who know more about so i'm not a no code person i'd be interested if there's sort of the equivalent of of what this is i guess it is i guess the no code built environment that you're using probably provides some of this so it's probably a passive in itself yeah yeah so i reckon you know another reason why people would use a PaaS, you know you just want to prefer to focus your available time and effort on building and marketing the app instead of working on the back-end infrastructure you've you've gone in there you've built your you've built your system you've built your minimum viable product and you want to start marketing it and to be honest you just don't want to muck around with infrastructure you don't want to deal with that issue so yeah go and buy the PaaS. that's there available to choose from I mean, it's a fair, fair, fair option. And as we pointed out before, though, don't forget those cons. At some point, you are going to have to going to have to face up to them. You can't just keep kicking that can down the road. <laughs> it would be interesting, again, to know what the biggest... I'm assuming there's some pretty big apps that run on these providers and they work just fine, you know. Someone like me who has the background of how to, you know, you know probably that DevOps background, you tend to probably, for your own curse, sometimes do more of this yourself because you... You, know, you want to know how it all plugs together. And so sometimes um, I personally am a Rails guy and I've thought about moving and doing some smaller stuff, just small little tiny micro SASs in Node to learn more. And it's like, mm. hey, well, that's when I would use this because then I don't have to take the baggage of what I've had before and I can use it in a fresh new light. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty excited about that. I'm already, you know, I'm playing around with PaaS for sure, but I'm already investigating options for what I will do when the time comes for starting to get a little bit more down into that stack further because yeah. I know I can't use PaaS forever. Um, and I've had a chat to a few people um, behind the scenes who are running their own SaaS and it's surprising the scale of um, usage that people have there. Some of them, they're right up there on the PaaS end, whereas others are literally right down on the other end, which we'll probably talk about in another episode. 
of literally running their own bare metal servers in their own location and taking care of everything of putting it to connecting it to the internet and making sure it's running. So there is a wide range here. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, I think it, I think it's one of these things like, I mean, you sort of alluded to it. It's like, you got to do what you're comfortable with and what isn't yeah. going to take your time. So if you think you can spin something up quickly, cause you've got your scripts, you've whatever, then that's, you're probably better doing that than trying out and f- you know, going through two or three passes until you find out which one's more applicable. So again, yeah. it is a little bit of, um, you know, you got to look at where, what your comfort level is, how quickly you can get something up in order, like you alluded to, is the value that you're trying to do here is build the product, you know, and, and solve client problems. So. Cole, this was the beginning of season one in our mini series in the hosting. And this was episode one, Platform as a Service. Folks, we hope you enjoyed the experiment we ran today. It was a little bit different as you probably have heard. Um, we're having a bit of fun with it. We're seeing how it goes. So, yeah. Yeah, and hopefully these are a little bit more, I won't say evergreen, but maybe there are things that people can go back to over time if they're, you know, having that particular question. These podcast episodes can sort of live in per- perpetuity a little bit, you know, uh, rather than just be always just an update. We'll hopefully tend to get one of these out every week or every other week around our other podcasts where we keep you guys up up to date and informed of how lot and Dan's investigations are going. Yeah. So, folks, thank you and enjoy your journey on hosting. We'll talk to you again in another one. So, thanks for listening. And remember, you can reach us on Twitter at push to prod pod or email the show at push to prod pod at gmail.com. You can also find us directly on Twitter at Gomo or Mr. Dan Miller. Thanks for joining us, folks. Cole, it's been a pleasure. Until next time, mate. I'll talk to you next week.